0: myself. There we go. My name is Barry. I'm the missions and care pastor here at BCC. And as we come together this morning, we're jumping into week four of this series that we've called to my non-religious friend. Can I just say for a minute, I don't really like the word religious because I don't consider myself to be a very religious person. I consider myself to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. However, in this series, we're talking about how we can relate and how we can reach those that we know, those in our community, our friends, our coworkers, our family, those outside of the faith. And it's tough to use language like this because it almost comes a we versus them. And I don't like that either. But we have to somehow define what we're talking about. And as we do that, I want to ask a question Of each of you this morning, have you ever judged anyone? Have you ever judged anyone? If I were to be completely honest with you this morning, I have. Now, before you judge me for judging other people, (laughs) let me just remind you that I believe we're all guilty of it from time to time for some reason or another. I once heard a story about a preacher who was sailing from America to Europe on one of those great transatlantic ocean liners. And when he was boarding the ship, he found out that he would be sharing his cabin with another passenger. And so after going and checking out his accommodations, he went to the purser's, the ship purser's desk, and he inquired if he could store both his gold watch and some of his valuables in the ship safe he explained that he'd been to his cabin that he'd met the man he would be sharing it with and he said judging from the man's appearance he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person well the purser accepted the responsibility of the valuables and he remarked it's all right sir i'll be very glad to take care of each and every one of these for you the other man's been up here also and he had the very same concern about you you know we all make judgments and the thing is truthfully we must make judgments about people almost every day when applying for a job we have to ask ourselves, do I really want to work for that person when meeting somebody that you're attracted to you have to ask yourself do I want to ask this person out on a date you know when I need to confide in somebody Who do I trust as a friend? Just spend a couple minutes online and we realize that our entire world is now based on judgmental reviews. From doctors to hotels, restaurants to dog walkers, many businesses now live and die by the number of stars that are by their name. You know, honest evaluation of others is necessary for a safe and functioning society. However, honest evaluation is different from the type of judgment that we're going to be talking about this morning. You know, it's not uncommon for a non-religious or a non-believing world, maybe some of your non-Christian friends, to look at Christians and say, they're so judgmental. Or maybe they're saying, Christians are always judging people. Have any of you ever heard that? You know, let me start off by saying, to some degree, I I feel like this assessment is a little bit unfair. Because I believe when people are saying this, when people are saying that Christians are judgmental, what they're actually doing is they're highlighting the fact that as Christians, we have convictions. Or at least we should have convictions, Most of us believe that there are things that are right, and we believe that there are things that are wrong. But on the flip side, our world promotes this idea of tolerance. In fact, it seems that the only sin that there is anymore is to believe that someone else is wrong. You know, the policy of tolerance, what it really does is it promotes an unbiblical philosophy That truth is determined by each individual person and not the moral absolutes of God. In fact, a worldly idea that's becoming more and more popular is if you agree with me, you're open-minded. But if you disagree with me, you're closed-minded and you're judgmental. It's almost like there's this increasing pressure that everybody just needs to keep their mouth shut. What I do find interesting, though, in the midst of all of this is that even non-religious people or non-Christians, non-believers, they will use the Bible when they can to their own advantage. How many times have you heard people say this? The Bible the Bible says not to judge. Sadly, though, when people say this, When they say things like the Bible says not to judge, they usually desire the freedom to do what they want. Without you or their own conscience getting in their way. And this is dangerous thinking. Because separation from God is a result a lot of times of unconfessed sin in our lives. So what does the Bible have to say? What does it have to say when it comes to judging other people? This morning, I want to look at several passages from God's Word that seem to be popular ones to quote when somebody feels like they're being judged. Now, we're going to have a chance to look at all of these, but I want to start off by looking at what I want our key text to be this morning, which is found in Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you know that chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is preaching what has become called or known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the main point of the Sermon on the Mount is about being different. It's all about Jesus telling us, as the body of Christ, saying, guys, I want you to look different from the world. I want you to act differently differently. I want you to take on a whole new attitude of living life and about loving and caring for other people. And here in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, we read this Jesus says, Judge not, or you, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, and I want to pause here, because in Scripture, when the word brother is used like this, it's referring to believers inside the church. This passage is about how we are supposed to treat our Christian brothers and sisters. That we shouldn't judge one another. How we should hold our brothers and sisters accountable in love. However, I do feel it's applicable to our non-religious or non-believing friends. And so continuing, it says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So right here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, we read, it says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, before we break down this passage a little bit this morning and get some clarity, I want to look at a few other verses that people like to use about not judging others. The first, Romans 14, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of you will give an account of God or himself to God. You know, what we see in this verse is that we should not pass judgment on our brothers and sisters. We also see here that it tells us that God himself is the ultimate judge. And that one day, each and every one of us will give an account before him for the life that we've lived. We will stand before him in judgment. In James 4, 11 and 12, it says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So in this passage, we see that, some, that judging somebody can be the same thing as speaking evil against them. It's also reiterated that there is only one judge. And so who are any of us to judge somebody else? In Romans 2, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that, the, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here we see that there is no excuse, no excuse for passing judgment onto others. That God is once again here called the judge, And he will judge those who judge others and who are hypocritical. And finally, James 2, 12 through 13, it says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So these verses here, they show us that mercy is better than judgment. So after looking at these verses, does your friend have a point when they say, doesn't the Bible say not to judge? You know, in actuality, yes, it does. However, we have to understand that in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, we have to understand the point that Jesus is trying to make here. You know, when we we pay close attention to Jesus' words, we realize that he is not condemning judging here. It's not that we can't make a valid critique of other people because there are times that we have to do that. And we're even called to do that at times in Scripture. What all of these verses are showing us is that we can't make it self-righteous. We can't make self-righteous critiques and judgments about other people where we stare down our spiritual noses at them. We can't become so preoccupied with the faults of other people while refusing to assess the enormity of our own sins and failures. The judging Jesus refers to in this passage, it comes from our own ego, our own pride. Because what happens when sometimes we judge We're often seeking to elevate ourselves by belittling somebody else. Or we try to justify our own bad behavior by labeling somebody else's behavior as worse. Sometimes our own biases and grudges affect how we view and how we treat other people. What we see Jesus addressing here is hypocritical judgment. Because that will never ever win anybody over. You know, the drunk man at the bar is not in the position to look at the man sitting on the bar stool next to him and tell him that he needs to slow down on his drinking. It just doesn't fly. It's what we call hypocritical. And here's what I want us to understand this morning. To reach my non-religious friend, I have to keep it real. I can't be hypocrite. You know, in the Greek, the word hypocrite, it it literally means to judge from under a mask. It comes from a theatrical word. I don't know if you remember or not, but do you remember those masks that used to be in theater, used to be in plays? One was of a smiling face, and the other mask was of a frowning face. Hypocrites are those who are two-faced, or they have double standards, It's to act behind a mask. It's to say one thing and do something completely different. You know, a recent study has shown that out of those who would consider themselves to be non-believers, that 85%, 85% of these people, they believe that present-day Christianity is hypocritical. And the perception of hypocrisy amongst Christians from non-believers has created some very real barriers to hearing and to understanding the message of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is addressing here in this passage in Matthew. As we look at it again in in verses 3 through 5, it says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brothers, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, the word speck here, it literally kind of translates into the material that a bird would use to build its nest. A small twig. A small piece of straw, a string, maybe a little piece of wood. And the word log, well, it's just as imagine, as you would imagine it You know, would mean. Think something like a railroad tie. Now, this is clearly an exaggerated overstatement that Jesus is using here to describe the hypocrisy that he's talking about. Obviously, a person can't have an entire log in their eye. That idea is totally ludicrous. A person walking around with a log in their eye, trying to tell somebody, hey, 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 you need to remove that speck. That's crazy. But so is the judgmentalism on the part of Christians who pick certain sins to call out in the lives of others While their lives are full of their own sins. You know, maybe one of the worst is religious self-righteousness, which we as the church are often uniquely prone to. I believe Jesus is asking us to stop pinpointing the shortcomings of others and to look inwardly and deeply, to deeply examine our own hearts and our own motives, It's not comfortable. But here's why it's so important. Jesus knew that if we focused on our own faults and weaknesses, we would become more empathetic towards other people. And that we'd be able to adequately assess and properly treat the spiritual wounds of other people. We'd recognize that like us, every person has challenges and every person has struggles that we can relate to and that's how Jesus's radical love is demonstrated today it's by recognizing our own flaws so that we become a little more merciful a little more patient and a little more loving towards one another what Jesus is really communicating here when he says to remove this this log this plank out of our own eye is that it puts each of us in a better position to judge in the sense of pointing out someone's sin because we're concerned about that person, because we love that person and we're concerned for their soul. Jesus says that we need to help out our brothers and our sisters. He's not saying here, don't correct your brother. No, in fact, we're told here to do it. Remove this log, so, you can see this speck in your brother's eye and help them remove it. We're called to help each other. You know, I believe that this is, the, I believe the best way we can do this to help our brothers and sisters to keep from seeming or becoming hypocritical is to remember what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 19. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, we should serve unbelievers. We should let our light shine before them so that they may see God through us and then turn to him in praise. You know, I think the next thing we have to do is believers, and and this is our BCC big idea this morning, to reach my non-religious friend, I must speak the truth in love. We have to speak the truth in love. You know, there's a difference between being judgmental in a pharisaical or harsh or an arrogant way and making a judgment about somebody's behavior to actually love and help that person. God wants us to speak the truth, but he wants us to do it in love. Ephesians 4.15, it tells us this. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. When we're trying to reach out to our non-religious friend, it's important to keep our goal in mind. And for our friend, the key... When we do this, is we need to be able to point to them. We need to be able to point out what they're doing wrong. We need to do it in a loving way. We need to make sure we're doing it with humility. Because each and every one of us are sinners. And when we're talking to our friend who's a sinner, we have to realize that we ourselves are also sinners We need to make sure we do this in a way that lets them know that we care about them and that we love them. We need to make sure that we're showing them what our ultimate goal is in this and what our ultimate goal should be is is forgiveness, the forgiveness that they could find through Jesus Christ. Jesus, again, is addressing Christian believers in this next verse I'm going to share. But once again, I feel we can apply it into our relationships with non-believers. Matthew 18, 15, it says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Your goal is to win over your Christian friends so that they can find forgiveness at the cross of Jesus. Love them enough to say something. If you see that sin is killing them, destroying their lives, love them enough, care for them enough to say something, to do something. You know, Martin Luther, he said, Christianity is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. In love, show your friend Jesus the bread of life. This keeps us from becoming condemning towards other people. And as Christians, this is sometimes another accusation or another label that the outside world sometimes likes to throw on us. Not only are we called at times judgmental or narrow-minded or close-minded, we're also called condemning. And condemning is this judicial act of declaring a person guilty And dooming that person to punishment. It's believed that since we don't agree with somebody, we condemn them. And let me just say this this morning. That disagreeing and condemnation are two very different things. You know, as a parent, I'm in the process of raising a teenage child. And there have been many times throughout his life that I've disagreed with things that he has said or things that he has done. But in no way would I ever condemn him for that. And there were times in my life when my parents were raising me and they disagreed with the things that I were doing and there were many of them. But they never condemned me. You can disagree with someone without condemning that person because I want you to know something this morning. I want you to understand this. Condemnation is not your job. Unfortunately, there are some Christians who think it is. There are some Christians who think that it's, it's their ministry, that they have a ministry of condemnation to the world. But many times this is our own pride. Pride. The the fact fact of the matter, I should say, is that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Do you remember what Scripture tells us? He he, he said so. You know, right after the most wonderful Bible verse that, that we all love, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We love to quote that verse. But we stop there a lot of times, and we don't go on to the very next verse. The very next verse tells us this. In John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, that was Jesus' ministry. It wasn't a ministry of condemnation. No, it was a ministry of salvation. Amen? Amen? You and I are the body of Christ. And we're supposed to do what Jesus did. And Jesus says, I did not come to condemn. So don't you. That's not your ministry. Remember also that believing that something is wrong, by disagreeing with somebody, this is not condemnation. One more passage I want to share before we move on that kind of deals with this speaking the truth in love is found in 2 Timothy 2. 24 through 26. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Listen, when we speak the truth in love, Our goal should be for our friends to come to repentance. It should lead them to the knowledge of truth, that they would come to their senses and that they would escape, as it says, the devil's snare, his trap. So speak the truth in love. Before we wrap up this morning, I want to share one more thought about this. And I, I think it's really important that we see this, and it's this to reach my non-religious friend, it's important to guard my heart. When I'm trying to reach my non-religious friends, I need to protect my own heart. Because as we look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it keeps with our theme about not judging or about, I'm sorry, kind of restoring our friends, telling the truth in love, trying to restore them. It says, brothers, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So once again, when we're trying to reach our non-religious friend, it's important that we guard our own heart, that we understand the dangers that we can face. Because as Christians, let's face it, we constantly are being put in the path of temptation. The world around us is attacking us on a daily basis. Everything that we see and read and do and hear and put in our bodies, etc., affects us somehow. That's why to maintain a close relationship with God, we have to put aside our old way of doing things the activities that we participate in, the people that we spend our time with. Since we so often judge others, we've put people into so many groupings or categories. But when we look at God's word, what we see is that really people are divided into only two categories. Those who belong to the world and its ruler, Satan, and those who belong to God. There's only two categories And these two groups of people, all throughout Scripture, are described in terms of opposites those in the light and those in the darkness, those with eternal life and those with eternal death, those who have peace with God and those who are at war with Him, those who believe the truth and those who believe the lies. Those who are on the narrow path of salvation and those who are on the broad road to destruction. Clearly, the message of Scripture is that believers are to be completely different than non-believers. And it's from this perspective here that we must discern what kind of friendships we can really have with unbelievers. Just listen really quickly to what Scripture says about believers' relationships with non-believers. I'm going to go through this quickly, but the, the scripture, if you're taking notes, will pop up on the screen. Psalm one blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Proverbs 12-26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13:20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 22 24 make no friendship with the man given to anger nor go with the wrathful man Proverbs 24 21 my son fear the Lord and the King and do not join with those who do otherwise 2nd Corinthians 6 14 do not be equally yoked with, unbelie- unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness 1st Corinthians 15 33 do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. While 1 Corinthians 7, contrasts this by saying, For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called into a bondservant of Christ. I think all of these scriptures show us that if we become deeply involved either by friendship or a romantic relationship with non-christians we are possibly setting ourselves up for turmoil and heartbreak it can and often does cause the christian to stumble in their walk fall back into a sinful life and also turn away others from god by misrepresenting god in christianity Now these verses and what I just said, it probably creates a tremendous tension in all of us. Something that each and every one of us wrestle with. Because although these close relationships are not highly recommended, it doesn't mean that they don't happen and it doesn't mean that it should happen. It doesn't mean that we turn our noses up and ignore unbelievers. Each and every Sunday morning, we close our service out with Matthew 28 18 through 20, which is known as the Great Commission. Jesus is calling each and every one of us to reach out to those who are far from Him. And so, how can we do that without relationship with them? Here's the, the thing in Scripture. We see Jesus not only eat with tax collectors and sinners, in Luke 7:34, it tells us that he was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus knew that each and every one of us would be thrown together in our world with non-believers. And we need to take advantage of these opportunities to love and to reach them. Like the apostle Paul said, I believe we should become all things to all people. In a biblical way but we have to find a line we have to find a line between two seemingly opposite commands and this is where we find our struggle are we leaning towards worldliness or are we leaning towards holiness because we have these two sets of admonitions and we have to discern which one applies and when so I would say that we need to ask Two questions. Two questions. First is this Which way is the transforming influence flowing? Which way is the transforming influence flowing? What I mean by this is when you're with someone, are they being transformed or are you being transformed? Are you being drawn to minimize the value of holiness and have your standards been compromised? This is the first question. The second question is this. Are we loving these people for their sake? That is, that they would come to Christ and that they would become godly. Or do we really love them because we love what they love? And really, we just like being with them in their worldliness, These are two questions that I think can help us navigate between these two extremes. On one hand, we have bad company ruins good morals. And on the other hand, we have Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus lived with non-believers. He loved them and he showed them a better vision of their future through him. Telling people about Jesus is a lot easier than living like him. But the latter will lead us and them to the cross. When we befriend those outside the church walls, we have to actually live out this whole Christian thing, not just talk about it. Followers of Jesus are called to community, to build one another up, to pray for each other, and to strengthen each other in their faith. Relationships are of the utmost importance as we are called to be unified as the body of Christ. However, when we choose to journey only with fellow believers, we're missing out on what it means to be a Christian. Wouldn't it be an honor to have the reputation of being a friend of sinners. To me that sounds a whole lot more interesting than being called a great Christian person. That doesn't mean we sell out on our convictions to blend in. It just means that we love and we invest in those who do not follow Jesus. James 5:16 it says therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working there's great power in the prayer of a righteous person so bring your concerns for your unbelieving non-religious friends before God and he will listen I want to encourage you because many people have been saved because of the prayers because of the service of their Christian friends so don't turn your back on unbelievers. In closing, I just want to remind us, I, I truly believe if we follow these steps to reach our non-religious friends, if we keep it real, if we speak the truth in love, and if we guide our hearts, I truly believe we lessen the odds that we will ever, ever be called judgmental. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word, and. Lord, there's a tension in today's message because you've called us and you've told us not to judge, to judge in a hypocritical way. But Father, you've, you've told us, Father, to, to call out sin in other people's lives, but to do so by speaking the truth in love. And God, you've also warned us to protect our hearts because when we're working with non-Christian, when we're even working with our brothers and sisters who might be struggling, Father, there is such a temptation to fall back into that ourselves. Father, just help us ask ourselves the question, why are we doing it? Why are we trying to win our friend? Why are we hanging out with these people? Is it truly to see them come to Christ? Or Father, are we liking the world that they're living in? God, give us love. Give us compassion. Help us to see the needs of those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.